Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, we've seen over the last few weeks a tremendous vision where God passed by and hid Moses in the cleft of the rock, covered him with his hand and proclaimed his name, Yahweh, Yahweh God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and so on. And then we have the aftermath of the vision in tonight's text. So we'll start at verse 8. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your word. We ask that you would strengthen us to hear it. That you would help us to love and delight in the mediator. Thank you that you enter into covenant, that you perform unparalleled miracles, that you show your works to the people who belong to your mediator. Father, we ask that you would strengthen us, help us, free us from distraction. Let us worship you rightly in spirit and in truth. Help me to speak powerfully and boldly, not from my own wits, but from the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we have seen over and over that the relationship between God and Israel is utterly dependent on the relationship between God and the mediator. <coughs> like it or not, right, and you should like it, the Almighty's attitude toward Israel is a function of his attitude toward Moses. That's abundantly clear already in what we've seen over the last several weeks. But here we see it once again as Moses dares to ask for more. Moses, of course, is in the business of negotiating with God in the aftermath of the golden calf incident. Moses didn't ask for anything at the beginning. He just went up the mountain and God told him everything. Here's the Ten Commandments. Here's the Book of the Covenant. Here's the design for the tabernacle. Take it down to them, Moses. Moses takes it down, and of course, they're busily engaged in worshiping the golden calf. Then God says, Moses... I'm done with this people. I'm cutting them off. I will make you the great nation. And Moses says, no God, please don't do that. And then while he's at it, Moses asks for thing after thing and he negotiates it all back. God has essentially said, I'm canceling the tabernacle. I'm not going in your midst. You're on your own. No, I won't kill them all, but you're on your own. Moses says, no, Lord. Please don't leave us on our own. Rescue us. Go in our midst. Tabernacle with us. And God says, I will do it. And then Moses asks, show me your glory. The same thing that Israel had asked Aaron. Make us gods to go before us. We need a God we can see. We're tired of this invisible God who only appears in a pillar of cloud and fire. 
And so Aaron makes the golden calf, which is not a visible god, it's a visible idol, which, of course, the word idol means literally seen thing. The fact that you can see it means it's not the true God. Anyway, Moses, though, has that same desire, so he says, show me your glory. God shows him his glory, which Moses hasn't spoken since chapter 33, verse 18, where he says, please show me your glory, and then God talks and talks and descends and reveals himself. And now, right, God has revealed himself. And we would expect Moses to say, Thank you, Lord. Your glory is far more magnificent than I could have ever imagined. That was enough. I've seen you, and I will never doubt again. But Moses doesn't say that. He doesn't say, thank you, I'm satisfied. He says, one more thing, God. There's a little more that I would like to ask for. He sees the glory of God, and he dares to ask yet another favor totally on the basis of the favor he's already received. Almost while you're at it. Lord, since you love me so much and favor me so much, will you also do this? The mediator requests God's favor for the people on the basis of God's favor for the mediator. And God responds by promising to make a covenant in an awe-inspiring, miraculous way. The mediator requests God's favor for the people on the basis of God's favor for the mediator. It's right here in the text. Moses worshipped, then he said, If I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, go among us. Pardon our iniquity and sin. Moses is so set on saying, Don't cancel the tabernacle. Come with us. Dwell in our midst. We need you. And instead of a thank you for the vision... He immediately goes back to saying, Lord, please, if you favor me, favor them. If you love me, go with us. Go with all of us. We want to say, of course, Moses, God just showed you his glory. Of course he favors you. But that, that's the point. Moses knew that God had favored him. He understood that this vision of seeing the glory of God was something that had not been vouchsafed to anyone since Adam. He understood that. And on the basis of that overwhelming example of divine favor, he says, if I've found favor, or we could say, since I've found favor, please go in our midst. Let the Lord go among us. Why does God take care of you? Because he loves Jesus. Why is he always gracious to you? Because he is always gracious to Jesus. Right? The benefits that we enjoy as the people of God come to us, not directly because God is so attached to us, but at one remove, God is attached to his son who intercedes on our behalf receives from the Father and gives to us. We've talked about this over and over, the pattern on display in the Lord's Supper. The Lord took the bread, gave thanks to God, then distributed it to the disciples. Where did he take it from? Well, he takes it and he thanks his Father for it. To say, Father, I received this from you. Now I'm distributing it to them. 
Moses has received this overwhelming divine favor and he doesn't say, this was amazing, I'm building a hermit's cell right here, I'm going to live on this rock the rest of my life. This was my mountaintop experience with God. No. Moses takes the experience and he says, Lord, please come with us. The whole people need your presence. The benefits that we enjoy as the people of God come to us through the mediator's perfections, through the mediator's grace, through the Father's love for the mediator. What Israel had, the tabernacle, God going with them, was something Moses negotiated for them, won for them as the mediator, as one showing us what Jesus would do in a greater, more perfect way. So the substance of the mediator's request, actually there's four major things that Moses asked for. The first, of course, is the tabernacling presence. Don't cancel the tabernacle. Let us build the tent and you come and live in it. Go in our midst, that is, live among us, Lord. Let the Lord go among us. Not just in front of us. Don't just send an angel who will clear the way, which God says earlier uh, in chapter 33. No, go in our midst. Actually live with us, God. And he also he admits God has called Israel stiff-necked three times in the previous two chapters. Kids, do your parents ever call you this, stiff-necked? What does it mean? It doesn't mean that when you try to turn your head, you say, oh, ooh, oh, that's stiff. No, it means that you refuse to bow your head and submit. To be stiff-necked is to be someone whose head is always high, no matter what. I will not bow to you. Nope, I have my own ideas. Israel is stiff-necked. The turn comes from trying to put a yoke on an animal. If the ox won't submit to the yoke, if he keeps his neck stiff, apparently you can't put the yoke on. And that's Israel. Stiff-necked. They won't submit to what God says. And Moses doesn't say, Lord, they're getting better. Lord, they're working on it. I've seen definite progress. Right? Moses doesn't lie. He says, you've called them stiff-necked, God. They're stiff-necked. They absolutely are stiff-necked. But rather than making that a reason for God to have nothing to do with them, Moses just says outright, go among us even though we are stiff-necked. Pardon our sin. Go with us even though we're stiff-necked. How is that possible? How can a holy, perfect God go with a stiff-necked people who won't knuckle under, bow their heads, and submit? The answer is in the next clause. Forgive our iniquity and our sin. Why does Moses have the guts to ask this again? It's because God has just said to him, I forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. And Moses, as the mediator, steps forward and says, God, I'm going to call you on that. You said you forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. I got a whole pile of iniquity, transgression, and sin down here in the camp. Can you forgive that? Can you clean that up and move in with us? Moses asks. Right In human terms, we would say, Moses, hold on, hold on. Asking for too much too quickly is a really good way to get rejected. 
Moses never learned that rule. Right? He asked for huge favors. He's been silent listening to the proclamation of the Lord's name, and now he says, Lord, I believe it. That is your name. You are merciful and gracious. You do forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. So please forgive the people's iniquity, transgression, and sin. Having heard the name, Moses is more confident than ever in who God is. He actually believes what God has told him. Do you? Right? Do you believe, oh, I have to hide my sin? I don't know if God will forgive this one. Or do you believe what God said, that He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin? Jesus believes that the Father forgives sin. That's why He was willing to pay the price for sin on the cross. He knew the Father's name. He understood His Father's character. And He participated in the great project of salvation. Moses' final request, take us as your inheritance. We don't, we don't just want to be God's people, we want to be God's special people. We don't want to be on the margin, we want to be at the center. These four requests sum up what Moses desires. He wants an intimate relationship where God commits to Israel as his people, forgives their sins, puts up with their stiff necks, and travels with them in the tabernacle. It's a big request. And the whole request is predicated on if I have found favor in your sight. Not if we have found favor in your sight. There's no we about it. It's if you have favor for me, go with us. Moses appeals to God on the basis of God's favor toward Moses. Now God answers... No, he doesn't answer in the terms that Moses presented. God doesn't say, yes, I will give you an intimate relationship, forgive your sin, put up with your stiff necks, and travel with you. He maintains his freedom by saying, behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Israel will see God's work, but Moses will do that work. I think we can take verse 10 as a yes, where God is saying, yes, I will travel with you. But again, he answers in his own terms, not in Moses' terms, to say, I will do more than you can possibly ask, Moses. Just watch. And you will see that I will go above and beyond everything you just said. Right? You thought you were asking a lot. Here's more. I will make a covenant with you. Now, is this a different covenant? No. This is the Sinai covenant. The whole time at Sinai, I think, should be understood as one long covenant-making time. It would be silly to posit two Mosaic covenants. This one that God is making with him is the same one that was described earlier in the book of the covenant. The same one that was ratified in chapter 24 when Moses sprinkled the blood on them and said, this is the blood of the covenant. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and will be obedient. They broke that. God is renewing that covenant and saying, even though you broke it, even though you worship the calf, I am still making 
a covenant. The golden calf has not stopped God from entering a covenant bond with his people. And of course, what is the covenant? All through scripture, the covenant is described as, I will be your God and you will be my people. That unique, special relationship with God's people at the center. So he's saying yes to Moses' last request. Yes, you will be my inheritance because I am making a covenant I will take you as my people. And he adds, I will do unparalleled miracles, marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. What are these miracles? We can presume they're the things the narrative goes on to describe. The erection of the tabernacle and God's moving in to dwell in the midst of his people. The wilderness wanderings, God preserving their lives for 40 years. The conquest of Canaan, the setting up of the monarchy, the preservation of Israel through wars, exiles, and foreign imperial rule. Today, if you go to Google Maps, you'll find that it's 313 miles from Mount Sinai to Jerusalem. That's what they say. I've never had the privilege of traveling it. Moses doesn't, isn't just saying, God, will you go 313 miles with us? His request is bigger than that. And God's promise, I will do marvels such as not not been done in all the earth. Right? God's promise is bigger than that. He's not just saying, Moses, yeah, I'll go 300 miles with you. He's saying, ultimately, I will send my son and do marvels beyond anything you can imagine. Uh, Before all your people, I will do these marvels. They haven't been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. The ten plagues were pretty spectacular. Wilderness wanderings, pretty spectacular. But greater things than these happened in Judea in the first century when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and Jesus came. God promises to do something orders of magnitude larger. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and He will dwell with them. That is a marvel never seen by any nation in the days before Moses wrote. He adds that he will show these works to all the people. All the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. All the people did not get to see God pass before Moses. They didn't get to see his glory. They didn't get to see Moses hide in the cleft of the rock. But God says, these mighty things that I will do will be seen by all Israel. I will do them all in front of the people. In other words, what's the ultimate promise that God will reveal himself? He will show his works to his people. Psalm 147, he shows his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation, any other nation, and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Hallelujah! Right, the psalmist glories in that particularity. God has shown himself to us. Before all Moses' people, he's seen these marvels. And ultimately, the awe-inspiring work, the awesome thing, is something that God will do with Moses. That final you is singular. It is an awesome thing that I will do with you. God will do the work, but Moses will be the tool 
in his hand. God doesn't say that he'll do marvels with Israel. He says he'll do marvels in front of Israel. But that Moses will be the one who is going to do this thing that's awe-inspiring, borderline terrifying. And of course, as we read in Moses' obituary in Deuteronomy 34, that's exactly what he did. All the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Clearly calling back to Exodus 34 and saying, God's promise to do that with Moses, that was fulfilled. Uh, What awe-inspiring, terrifying thing is that? Well, certainly, in this very chapter, we have Moses' face shining with the light of the glory of God. That was terrifying, so terrifying that Aaron didn't even want to approach him. What has happened to my little brother? He's glowing. This is probably not good. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But beyond that, I've spoken of this. God is going to reveal himself through the tabernacle, through the Passover. But above all, of course, what is the greatest act of Moses that is the composition of the Pentateuch? Writing these five books that through history have given people unparalleled insight into the nature of God. These books describe the ways of our God, and without them, the rest of the Bible wouldn't make a lot of sense. So Moses does this awe-inspiring, borderline terrifying thing by taking and writing down five perfect books that describe the foundation of everything there is to know about who God is. If you can imagine writing something like Exodus, the book of the knowledge of God, We talked about this last week. The name of God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. If that was the first words of the Bible, we would say that God sounds pretty good. But the far more powerful here when we've seen what God does across 80-some chapters of narrative, especially in the context of everything God did to bring them out of Egypt, then they worshiped the calf, and now God says... This is who I am, abounding in goodness and truth. Now the awe-inspiring work that Moses does, yes, is to lead the people out of Israel. Yes, to give laws to a nation. Yes, to forge Israel into a people. But more than that, it's to write down Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Of course, even greater than the revelation through Moses is the revelation that God has given through the greater mediator, Jesus. Jesus said that. If you believe what Moses said, you would believe me. He wrote about me. God reveals himself and his son here in the Pentateuch. So God showed Moses his glory. He consented to accompany Israel to the promised land and to overlook and to forgive their sins. That was possible only through the work that Jesus was going to come and do. He died so Israel's stiff neck could be forgiven and could be unstiffened so that they could bow before him. Your stiff neck can be healed too, forgiven too, through the same mediator. Jesus' work saved Israel and it will save you. Let's pray. Father, we ask your help.
We know that you are exactly who you told Moses you were. We thank you for this book that tells us about how you dealt with your people in the wilderness so long ago. The awe-inspiring things you did through Moses in bringing Israel out of Egypt. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see Jesus as our greater mediator. the The one who sums up and perfects everything that Moses was trying to be. Father, help us to know him to love Him, to delight in Him, to worship and serve Him, because you know Him and love Him and delight in Him and tell us to worship and serve Him. We pray that you would help us not to hide our sin, but to bring it to our merciful and faithful High Priest who has passed through the heavens and sits at your right hand. Help us to hang on and draw near, because you do and have done awe-inspiring things through the Mediator. We pray in His name. Amen.